Praise Him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Put our 
your voice and sing. I'm make this your prayer. Come on. me yesterday and she just had a question she was um, been following our church and and she says you seem pretty religious so I'm gonna ask you a question she said does God answer prayer um, and she said you know I've been baptized and but I just haven't been living for God as much as I should haven't been going to church, but would God still answer my prayer? And I said, well, I think only God can answer that one. But I said, you know, I personally believe that as we pursue the holiness of God, and as we pursue his righteousness and pursue who he is, and even in the time of need for an unbeliever, I believe God is in tune, he hears. But it's not necessarily will he answer, we don't know that. But I believe that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his timing is not our timing. And Ecclesiastes, in fact, it's my wife's and I's verse since we were dating, is he makes all things beautiful in his time. But on the other hand, I said, you know, if you're doing all this, this, and this, and this, and living in sin, and then you are trying to pursue God, and then you go back to living in sin and doing this, this, and this, I said, then you're far from the Lord. You don't have a relationship with him. You know him, but you don't have a relationship with him. And it was really neat. Then she says, I want that relationship. And this is all through Messenger. And it's just really powerful. And she didn't even live around here, but it was just really powerful how God can move just even through Facebook. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness. And it was a positive thing. And so we've been messaging back and forth as far as she's just wanting scripture now and, and everything. She's an older lady, lives in Illinois, has a couple grandkids. 
And uh, I'm just so thankful that when we come, I'm just looking at this full room and what God is doing in our church and in our fellowship, that when we pursue God and we pursue his holiness and we pursue his righteousness, he is gonna come and he is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. He's gonna open our eyes that have been shut. He's gonna move mountains. He's gonna clear valleys. He's gonna make the crooked ways straight. When we follow in his holiness, when we pursue his righteousness in church, that is my goal in my life is to be a man of integrity in everything that I do. And sometimes I fail at that. But I wanna be that person that when I stand before God, that he's gonna look at me and he says, Nathan, yeah, there were a lot of times that you failed, a lot of times that you stumbled, but yet you pursued me. You've come back and well done, my good and faithful servant, and usher me home. I'm thankful for his presence this morning, thankful for his holiness. sing it together. Sing
somebody needs to sing this. Come on. this morning and just thank him for who he is this morning. Come on, somebody just needs to praise him. Remember, there is victory in praise, church. There is victory in praise this morning. Come on, just lift our hands as we worship him, as we thank him. Lord, you are our way maker. seems to be no way. Lord, it seems that you make miracles that are so unexpected. And Lord, I'm thankful, Jesus. I'm thankful, oh God. That is who you are. That is who you are. You are my God. Right now, I just want you to tell God who he is in your life right now. Somebody needs to speak that. Say, God, you are my provider. God, you are my healer my time of distress and in my time of need, you are my all in all. You are my righteousness. You are faithful. You never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the king that's above all kings. You're the Lord that's above all lords. You are my bride and morning star. You are the prince of peace. You are the alpha, the omega. You are the beginning. You are the end. You are the awesome king of all kings. And Lord, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. And there is none that stands beside you. There is none that can compare with you. There is none. 
done that any can even go, oh God. And Father, we worship you. Come on, I need somebody to praise him this morning. Oh, because you are, yeah. Oh, you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are, yeah. You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Come on, just a kick. Somebody, just the church. You are. understand, but more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, he's my way maker this morning. Amen. life dishonoring you, years of turning my back to you. Time and time again, I put myself before you, and yet I have the nerve to act like you owe me something. But I am nothing, just a speck in the middle of the universe, just a tiny dot that could be wiped away in the blink of an eye, and yet you see me, you see my heart. You see my pain, you see my need for hope, my need for love, my need for a savior. But you alone are king, and I recognize now that I can't do this on my own. I recognize that without you, I am nothing, and I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking for hope. Jesus, I am asking for you to save me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Create a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. Take away my sin and make me like you. Jesus, be my hope. Be my joy. Be my strength. Be my king. We are people of hope. 
I said, we are people of hope. Doesn't matter what you've been through, what you're facing, what you're dealing with, we are people of hope. Why? Because we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead for our justification, ascended to the Father, and ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. And as long as that is true, we have hope. Come on, I said we have hope. And if you're here this morning without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this day was ordained for you to surrender your life to him. And it's as simple as if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to wait till the end of the service. You don't have to wait for an altar call. You don't have to wait for someone to grab you by the arm and drag you to the altar. In the middle of the message, when it gets a little boring, just say, Jesus, (laughs) deliver me. I believe in you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. And you know what? A miracle of regeneration will take place, and he will live on the inside of you, and you will be a new creation in Christ. All things become new when we give our lives to Jesus. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we become people of hope. We're not people of despair. We're not people of fear. We're not people of darkness. We're not people of of, uh, coronavirus. We're people of hope. Help me this morning. We're people of hope. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have hope. Not real hope, not lasting hope, not enduring hope. But you can invite Jesus into your life right now while we go on through the service, and he will hear you and change everything about you. How many are glad for that? We serve a God of hope. We're in Ezra chapter 10 this morning, and we're finishing this series through Ezra, and I kind of understand why Ezra doesn't get preached on a lot because it ends with a whisper. It doesn't end with a bang. It doesn't end with this great explosion of revival. It just ends. It just is over. But in that chapter, there's some phenomenal things that happen that help us understand what it means to rise from the ruins, to rise from the rubble, what worship should look like. And last week in chapter 9, Ezra deals with the issue of compromise. When the church has moved from its calling, moved from its principles and purity, and then becomes something that God never intended it to become. Ezra, what do we do? And he shows us um, how to deal with that. In chapter 10, we then see the next steps. And here's the principle you've got to get a hold of that all of us know, but we need to practice. It isn't enough to be sorry. I said it isn't enough to be sorry. In case you didn't know this, and this is brand new to you, write it down. It isn't enough to be sorry. How many of you have ever been wrong? How many of you have ever been sorry? How many know that just because you're sorry, it didn't fix everything? When my kids were small growing up, Dad, I'm sorry, and I would regularly say to them, I'm glad you're sorry, but it's not your sorrow I want. It's a change of behavior that I want. I'll believe, hear me, I'll believe that you're sorry when your behavior changes. If you're just sorry for getting caught, your behavior won't change. But if you're sorry for what you've done, then your behavior will change. Is there anyone in the house this morning? It's time for the church to recognize that it's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry. 
We've got to change our behavior, our direction. God's dealing in our life should reshape us and put us back on the right path. And that's what Ezra lets us see this morning. It's not enough to be sorry. It's a chapter about purity. And unfortunately, when I use the word purity or research the word purity, do you know where it almost always goes? It almost always goes to sexual purity. And we need that message today. There's no question we need that message today. But purity is bigger than your sexual behaviors. It's more than that. That is a big part of it in today's culture, but it's more than that. Purity speaks of the condition of your mind, the condition of your heart, the condition of your conscience, and the condition of your actions. It literally means to have no contamination and no adulteration. And Jesus is coming for a pure church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And when you and I get off the beaten path, which we will do from time to time and make mistakes, we've got to come back to the place where purity becomes what drives us. And you have to really grab hold of the fact that purity has a price. How big of a price? Look at Jesus dying on the cross. That's how big a price. But you don't get off without paying a price. Sometimes there's more for us to respond to. It becomes our responsibility. It's not the direction of my message this morning, but I'm going to throw this in here. Do you know that restitution is a biblical principle? We want sin, confession, repent, forgiven, end of story. The reason we don't have more victory is because that's not the end of the story. It's confession, repentance, forgiveness, restoration, and restitution. There's a biblical principle of not just having Jesus forgive you, but of doing what's necessary to make things right, and that comes with a price tag, and that's what Ezra chapter 10 is about, and how many are ready to go home now? Let's look at what happens in this chapter. It's a great chapter. What about this thing called purity? Well, purity depends upon confession. In chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says that Ezra, who has prayed and wept and prayed and wept, continues in chapter 1 to pray, confessing, weeping, throwing himself down before the house of God. He continues to pray, continues. This is after he'd already ripped out his beard and his hair and tore his clothes. He's still throwing himself down praying. Why? Why? Shouldn't you just pray once and be done? Jesus, forgive me, I accept that, and it's over with. Well, I want to talk to you about an old concept that some of you have been around in Pentecostal circles for a long time will recognize, though it's rarely talked about today. And that's the concept of praying through. We used to talk about that. Now we want to just make a statement and God will honor it. We used to talk about praying through. What does that mean? There's an acronym that I like. Understand that I like this. Push for prayer. How many have seen that? Pray until something happens. But I want to challenge you that while that is great, because when Jesus prayed, something happened, and when you pray, something should happen, but there's a level of prayer that goes beyond something happening to praying until the battle is won, until I know the victory has been won, that I have freedom, or I've broken through a stronghold, or I have the assurance in my heart that the answer has come. And that's a spiritual place that the church doesn't go very often anymore. We just want to pray and it'd be okay. But there is a place of praying through. 
man by the name of Samuel Bringle was an influential 19th and early 20th century preacher and author. He ministered for more than 40 years in the Salvation Army. He eventually wrote nine books on the topic of personal holiness. We don't hear that much anymore either about personal holiness. Listen to what he says about this concept of praying through. And how many of you have heard that term before, praying through? What does he say about praying through? He says, if people who are not satisfied in their experience would take time to pray through, they would find the dark tunnels leading out into a large place into broad day. Jesus still lives and keeps watch over his own who hunger to be right. And he pours out the Holy Spirit on everyone who obeys him and seeks him wholeheartedly. But before we can be filled, we must be emptied. Before we can have the more abundant life, we have to die to sin. The old sinful nature must be crucified and put off before Jesus can abide in our hearts and satisfy the hunger of our souls. Are you satisfied? If not, begin right now and stir up yourself to seek until you have found. Rouse yourself. Find a secret place and pray. And pray again and yet again. And you shall pray through and be satisfied. He goes on to say, I know for I've prayed through. I know for Jesus has said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. And what Jesus has said is true. Praying through. Not just till something happens, but till the answer comes. Praying through. That's what Ezra is doing. Even though he's prayed and repented and pulled out his beard and sought God, there's a sense in the beginning of chapter 10 that Ezra knows the battle's not over yet. The nation has not repented yet. There's a stronghold that yet needs to come down. And would to God we would have a company of people that would pray that way, that would begin to seek the face of God and begin to pour out their hearts and pray until the battle is won in the heavenly realm. The Bible goes on to tell us then that while he's doing that, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. I'm going to suggest to you that authentic repentance and discipleship is attractive to people who want to see God. They'll be drawn to that. So you can be drawn to a message of let's be happy and smile and all be good friends. I commonly refer to that as Barney religion, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. How many remember the purple dinosaur? But there is a whole other company of people who are unsatisfied with a sugar-coated gospel message, but want something that is life-changing, that has substance, that has a foundation, that has some meat attached. And the people are watching Ezra really get a hold of God, and there's something about that that will inspire people around you to do the same thing that will want to dig in where you're digging in, that will want to experience what you've experienced, that want to have that same passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. They see him crying out to God, and they say, I want some of that. I want some of that. I want to find that place. They follow his example and likewise sought God. So I have to ask you this morning, 
they followed Ezra's example and likewise sought God, where would they be if they followed your example? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about that. What would happen if they followed us? Where would we take them? There's a lot of talk today about attractional churches and missional churches. And I think we're entering into a time that we need to be both attractional and missional. But what are we attracting them to? A cookie and ice cream? Or meat and potatoes? Let's attract them to a place where there's substance. How many are hearing me? And we can't attract them if we're not going there. And Charlie, it is so good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Um, I don't know how many know Charlie's story. Just glad you're here. I want everyone to give a welcome to Charlie Heen here this morning. I'm stepping out of my message right now, but is this your first Sunday back here in, since COVID, since all of that happened in your health situation? So, yeah, just glad you're here. We're praying for you and believing for good things in your behalf. People are attracted to where there's substance. And so here's what happens. So he's, Ezra is just weeping before God. Now, the other side is, there's a time to stop crying and start doing. Oh, God, help us. I think sometimes God would say, if you'd stop, I'd help you. But you've got to do something and there's a man that rises up by the name of Shechaniah, and we don't know anything about him. We don't see him before this. We don't see him after this. There are like eight Shechaniahs in the Old Testament. And he just rises up in the middle of all this. And you have to allow me to use my imagination because I, I kind of see him. He, Ezra's crying out to God. People are weeping and crying out to God. And Shechaniah said to Ezra. So I see him walking over and say, Ezra, could I talk to you a minute? I think the weeping... We got that. I think we got that. He says, we have been unfaithful to our God. We got that, Ezra. We've been unfaithful to our God by marrying formal women from the people around us. Are you ready for this? Oh, I hate it sometimes when I know what I'm going to say next. We have failed, Ezra. We hear your weeping. But there's something you seem to have forgotten. There is still hope. Woo! There is still hope. I don't care how bad your plate is broken. I don't care what depths of sin you've fallen into. I don't care how far afield you've gone from the right path. I'm here to tell you this morning that weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And after you've prayed through, there's a time to recognize there is still hope hope. Your marriage might seem like it will never prosper. Hear me this morning. There is still hope. You may feel like there's no way out of the dilemma you're facing. Come on, somebody shout now. I said there is still hope for the saints of God. And there comes a time you need to stop crying and start believing. There is still hope. There is always hope when people seek the face of God. So purity depends upon confession. Confession should lead to a covenant. Confession should lead to a covenant relationship with God. Beginning in verse 3, Shechaniah goes on to say, Now, 
This is what Ezra should be doing. And I'm just going to tell you, I've never been a big fan of personal prophecy that tells me that I should sell my stuff and give to the prophet. But we best not despise the prophetic voice among the people of God. Not allow the excesses to move us away from the genuine. And Shechaniah, whoever he was, is the voice of God in the life of Ezra. And there are times where someone will come out of nowhere and come to you with a word from heaven, and you need to hear that. You need to weigh it over and judge it, but you need to hear that. And Shechaniah says to Ezra, let us make a covenant before our God and uh, to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Then look at verse 4. He says to him, rise up, Ezra, rise up. The matter is in your hands we will support you, so take courage and do it. There's times for leaders to rise up and be the leader and take courage and do it. Dad, you don't need to be your kid's friend every day. Sometimes you need to rise up and do it and be the leader. Mom, you don't have to be girlfriends with your kids. There comes a time where you need to rise up and take courage and do it. There are other places where you may have leadership roles and there comes a point where you have to stop crying and rise up and do it. And when you do, there are people who will rally around you and support you and stand with you that are just waiting for somebody to do the right thing. For somebody to do the right thing. The matter is in your hands. Ezra, we have confidence in you. Let's do it. And so this covenant that Ezra launches into in a little bit is one that we understand. Ezra then rose up, led the priests and Levites under an oath to do what had been suggested. And this is a thing that churches have to do from time to time for the leadership. And I'm just going to tell you, I believe that God uses leadership. I don't believe he uses committees. I believe committees can get a job done, but vision comes from leaders. And I'm not against committee work. I'm, get, I'm against committee leadership. Right? I mean, you all know what a camel is. A horse that was assembled by a committee. God uses leaders. And there comes a point where leaders need to stand up. And Ezra uh, approaches the priest really the leadership structure, and says, all right, man, it's time. And they stand up with him, and they swear by an oath, we're going to fix this. We're going to change the course. We got off the beaten path. We're headed the wrong way. And it's time to stand up and say, church, the church in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, it's time for us to change direction. And that won't happen as long as the church has an American mindset that questions everything leadership does and rebels against any direction that they haven't come up with on their own. Hallelujah. 
They are all bound with an oath. The leaders make an oath to keep the covenant, a covenant that has not yet been fully articulated. This will be a tough matter to resolve, but Ezra, as he continues to seek the Lord in brokenness before the Lord, says to them, it's time for us to covenant together and write this ship and get it back on track. comes time to own it. Because when you make confession, confession will lead to a covenant relationship. And the covenant relationship requires correction. The reason you enter into a covenant is to correct what was broken. This progression is pretty clear in this chapter. There's confession that leads to a covenant that moves to correction. The covenant relationship is to bring back on track what had gotten off track. So beginning in verse 7, there's a public proclamation. Watch this. Look at verse 7. There's a public proclamation issued throughout all Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Anyone who failed to appear within three days would forfeit all his property in accordance with the decision of the officials and the elders and would himself be expelled from the assembly of the exiles. That's pr- do they have the right to do that? Who gave them that right? God did. Sometimes it's not about your constitutional authority or your bylaw mandate. It's what God is saying in a moment to move the body forward. Are you hearing me this morning? And so he says to them, the proclamation was, you're going to lose everything. You either come or we're taking it all. Now, I know we couldn't do that today. Do you know why we couldn't do that today? Because there's no cooperation between churches who claim to be the church of God when it comes to church discipline. I had a a young man in our church that was in an inappropriate, he's married, inappropriate relation, or divorced, but in an inappropriate relationship with a minor girl. We removed him, sat him down. He went to another church. Pastor called, was he going to your church? Yeah, he's going to my church. Here's why we sat him down. And you know that in two weeks, he was on the platform on the leadership team? Why? Because we are not going to let anyone tell us to. If the church, we talk about the church, capital C. We are the church, small C. Berean, but the church big C are all the believers. Imagine what we could do for the kingdom if all the churches in central Iowa came under the same covering of authority and said, you're not going to behave that way. You're not going to carry on that way. You're not going to speak those things. You're not going to act in that fashion. I don't expect that's ever going to happen. But what, what we're told by the apostle Paul is that as we approach Christ, We will come to a unity of the faith that will draw us together. And they're saying, you're either in or you're out. (laughs) Well, just meddle because I'm not sure you're catching my drift. What would that look like today? Can you imagine a business meeting? And I were to say, we're going to take a vote. And if you vote yes, you can stay. And if you vote no, don't ever come back. It scares me even to say that out loud because you know what happened? I would be on my way out. But that's exactly what happened here. 
the leader had a word from God and said, either get in or get out. Either get in or get out. Now, you're saying, should that be, that shouldn't be over the color of the carpet or what kind of coffee we ought to have. It'll be in something much bigger than that that has to do with your moral direction, your moral compass. Thank you. <laughs> There's not room. Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh this morning. I'm just telling you how it ends. There's not room for some things in this body of believers. There's just not. And if you want to come in and, and get us to change our principles and our values to fit some kind of world system, there's no room for you in this. If your goal is to convince me that abortion should be legal, we don't have room for you here. Now, if you're wrestling with it and you've experienced it, we'll love you and we'll walk together and we'll discuss it and get there. But if your goal is to change us, there's no room for that here. We have some principles if you want to teach that Jesus is not the son of God and you're going to reshape us, there's not room for you here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be exclusive. I'm just saying there comes a point where you have to say, this is who we are. This is the direction we're going. Get on board and let's do it. You say, Pastor, you're drawing a pretty tight line. I know I am, but it's what Ezra did. Get in or get out and we're taking your property. <laughs> Oh, I hope I find a way to pull this out of the nosedive it's in right now. It leads to a covenant or to correction. The body, there are times in the life of the church, and I don't have anything. The reason I can preach this this morning is I don't have anything I'm shooting at. Uh, if, if, I, if there was, I'd tell you. But the body, when there's a off track, has to find a place of unity to reclaim the blessing of God. We have to walk together in unity. And one of the things that is quickly forgotten is that this world system is not, is not in harmony with the church. The Bible says here in verses 7 to 17 that they need to separate themselves. It's time to separate yourself from the world and its ways. And we, we don't talk about worldliness anymore or world-likeness. It's just do whatever you want and enjoy all the world you can get and then just come to church and you'll go to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. There are ways of the world that are wrong. This may surprise you. This is in scripture, not in the commentary. But we can't afford to be in love with the world. They were invested socially, financially, and emotionally in the world and its ways by marrying women who were not followers of Jehovah. The Bible says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. There's a table being spread for you in this world system that simply says, live in the world and come and get a snack at church. 
And that's not enough for the kingdom to advance. And in the hour that we're living in, it's not enough. The ways of the world can't be our driver. The ways of the world can't be our life force. The ways of the world can't be our values. It might be all right out there, but it doesn't make it all right in here. There used to be some things that were wrong that affected church people. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, with that pause, listen. I believe that scripture has an intentional flow and it was written without chapter and verse um, breaks. So when he says not to love the world, do you know what he says right after that? Don't love the world because if you love the world, the love of the Father is in you. Dear children, this is the last hour and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us but did not really belong to us. They had... Uh, belong to us but they have not remained with us and their going showed that none of them really belong to us what's he saying he's saying listen if you love the world you love your stuff above everything else it's you love the world system you love being in this world apart in the values that are separate from faith you'll be easy prey for the antichrist there are some christians if the mark of the beast meant that they could take it or that they have to take it or lose all their stuff, would take it because we love the world. We love the things. We love the methods. We love the manipulations. We love the game. Is anyone hearing me this morning? That loving the world sets the church in a place to be susceptible to the deception of the end times. And there comes a point where you just have to say, yeah, I know, they get away with it over there. But when you put it under the light of scripture, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Oh, I'm, Pastor Tim, I'm so tempted to go down this road and meddle a bit. I'll just say, I'll give one example. A Christian in favor of the legalization of marijuana is a Christian who loves the world and doesn't understand the impact of that decision. Hello? Now, maybe you can build from that one bone. We can't love the ways of the world. So it leads to correction. A covenant requires correction. Something has got to change. And so the change was that they would... Uh, the amazing part is that when they talk about the change, we're getting rid of all the women and the children of foreign lands that no one argues. No one argues. How has that happened? Because Ezra continued to pray through to the answer. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment because this is a part of the story that troubles me. How is this like God? When I read this story and I thought, You're going to take your wives and your children and send them to another country. And now you're just free to do whatever you want? There's no consequence for you? How is that just? How is that okay? How is that like God? It seems to me like it's an easy out for the men. 
I understand having children can get frustrated. How many have ever been frustrated by your kids? You don't have to admit this, but how many have ever thought about selling them? <laughs> my mother, I'm not kidding you, my mother used to say things that I've, I understand as an adult, but she really would say this to us. She'd say, get out of the house and go play in the traffic. Now, she wouldn't have let us do that, I don't think, but there were some days. I understand, if you could just, if you could just cut loose all of your responsibilities and just start all over again, how many, there have been times you'd be tempted to do that? Liars. <laughs> now, I'm going to say something this morning. And don't understand, I'm doing fine. I'm in this for the long haul. I love Jesus. We're going to keep plowing through. But I'm telling you what, there are some days I get up in the morning and I come into the office and I just think, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this COVID thing anymore. I don't, you do this and you're wrong. You do that and you're wrong. And then you do this and someone gets sick. And then the news and what are we going to do? Talking to pastors who don't know what to do. And then you have... You have Durango that comes, I like that better than Derecho, Derecho, comes ripping through and tearing everything. I don't want to do this anymore. Some days I don't. I'm just done with this. And if I were given a pass, like I could do nothing and still get paid, <laughs> how many of you would take that option, you know? So I look at this and I think, God, how is this like you? I know their marriages were wrong, but when the missionaries went into Africa and native tribes began to come to Christ, it was not uncommon for the chief to have many, many wives. What do you do with them? Because the biblical model is one man, one woman for life. What do you do with them? And what commonly happened in those days is that when a chief came to Christ, the women would be, would be taken care of and loved and fed and provided for, but one wife would be his wife because they weren't free to just throw away their responsibilities. So I began to think about that. And listen, when you hit a spot in Scripture that doesn't seem to look like God, don't assume you're right or that your perspective is right. Dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. And I started to think there really was not a prohibition against marrying for, um, foreign women who became proselyte Jews. In fact, there's a really important story all about that in Scripture. Any of you ever hear of Ruth the Moabite? Ruth the Moabite, who becomes one of the most important characters in Old Testament history. She was a Moabite who married a Jew and came into the household of the Jews with the blessing of God on her life. Why? Because she didn't bring her world into her faith. She rejected it. And what does she say when she's accompanying with Naomi, she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. What was she doing? She was saying, I want to live in your faith. And God embraced her in the family of God. 
So where do you see that here in Ezra 10? It's really not hard to see if you look for it. So the exiles, verse 16, did as was proposed. Ezra the priest selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down and investigated the cases. It took them three months to investigate the cases. Do you know, I'll get to this later, but how many men that was? When you read what follows here, that's 113 families. It's just 113 men out of the thousands that are in Israel. 113, what do you think is happening in that investigation? I believe that every woman that had been married by a Jew was given the opportunity to cast aside her ungodly ways and faith and join the family of God. And if in her rebellion and stubbornness, she was going to hold to her pagan religions, those individuals were separated from the people of God because God always welcomes. Listen, are you hearing me? God always welcomes outsiders into the family. He always welcomes outsiders into the family. But he doesn't, he doesn't accept outsiders who want to change the family. During that three months, those who rejected faith were sent out on their own, and they made that choice. The choice is you can convert to Judaism and love Jehovah, the God that created the universe, or you can leave with your family and go back where you came from. And many of those women said, we will not serve your God. We will go back home. That's the nature of how God works, consequences of your choices. So then last, to wrap this up, correction has consequences. Beginning in verse 18, we have a list (laughs) of every compromiser in Jerusalem. A list of them all by name. Can you imagine that at the annual business meeting? Uh, For our next uh, report, we have a list of all the people who have not been tithing. Oh, and we have another list here we're going to play of the people who have cheated on their income tax. And not only that, but it goes in the journal so you can read back however many years you want and see all the people who compromised. You say, well, God forgives and forgets. It's not that simple because our failure has consequences. If you drive a nail into a board, and I I tell you, I don't know, I do a little bit of of home renovation, not a lot, but a little bit, and hanging sheetrock. How many have ever hung sheetrock? How many know that when you, I, I like to use the sheetrock screws and sink those, but how many know that when you do that, you have to hit a stud? How many know that? How many of you have hung sheetrock and there's eight holes? No, 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 no. There's one in there somewhere. Well, you can cover that with mud, but you have to fix it. 
you drill that into a board or drive a nail into a board and pull it out, that scar is going to be there. You can repair it, but the scar remains. And there's a cheap grace being taught in in, um, charismatic circles that if you repent, he forgives you and everything goes back to normal. I want you to hear me carefully. If a married couple have an affair, that relationship can be made right with God. And you can forget it and move on and be blessed, but it will never be what it would have been without the wound. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It can be great and it can be forgiven, but these names, this is why we're in the mess we were in, because failure has consequence. As simple an illustration as I could come up with, though it is a bit violent, but if I pull a handgun and I shoot someone, how many of you believe God can forgive me? But if God forgives me, wouldn't it be cool if they just rose from the dead? Because he removed the consequences of my choices? But how many know they stay dead? You abuse a child, they're going to deal with the consequences of that abuse even when you're forgiven. And some sins will disqualify you from service in certain areas. If you molest a child, we'll love you into the kingdom. And God is a place to forgive you and cleanse you and make you new. But I'll tell you what, if you've ever molested a child and we know about it, you will never be within 10 feet of kids at this church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because there are consequences. They're all listed there. But you know what else is listed there? Before you get too hard on them, it's also a list for future generations. This is 113 men who are man enough to stand up and repent of their sin and make it right. It's all how you want to look at the list because all of us have failed. All of us have done wrong, but there are consequences. But that consequence, my scars, my wounds, my pains, not only show that I failed, but they also show that there is a redeeming God who can make us new. Why? Because, Shekinah, there is still hope for the people who will come to a place of repentance before God. Charles Stanley said, forgiveness is relational, but consequences are circumstantial. There's a cost of getting right with God. There's a cost. Jesus paid the ultimate price, and our participation sometimes comes with a price. But I want to end with whatever trouble we face, there is still hope. There may be scars, there may be reminders, but there is still hope. Everybody say that with me out loud. There is still hope. There again, there is still hope. Like every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, please. Whether in the chapel, online with us, or in this service, I know we've gathered from all kinds of places and all kinds of experiences. 
But I really felt when I was studying this chapter that I needed to say to you that if you're not in right standing with God, there's still hope. Wherever you've been, whatever you've struggled with, you're not in right standing with him. You know if you died, you wouldn't go to heaven. There's still hope because Jesus is alive. And I just want to give you an opportunity, as I alluded to at the beginning of the message, to say if you need Jesus in your life, this morning was designed for you. If you're not a born-again Christ follower, you've never surrendered your life to him, this is your morning to do it. I want you to just lift your hand so I can pray for you. You need to invite Jesus into your life. You've not done that, just lift your hand. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? What a time that we live in. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? I need Jesus in my life. Thank you. I'm going to wait a moment because I feel like the gentle breeze of the Spirit is moving in this place. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need to become a Christ follower today. Everyone that will, please out loud pray this prayer with me. And those of you that raise your hand, if you pray this and mean it, Jesus is going to take up residence on the inside of you. Because you know what the name Shechaniah means? It means one where God, in whom God dwells. He's the voice of God. He's the dwelling place of God. Where is that today? Who is that today? That's you and I, the dwelling place of God. Everyone out loud, please. Dear Lord Jesus, I readily admit my failures. I have sinned and need forgiveness. I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins and to make me new. I confess you as Savior and Lord. And I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. Please forgive me, cleanse me, and make me new. And I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, Jesus has just moved in. And there's going to be changes from the inside out. But I also think alongside that this morning, that there may be, there may be people here who have made a royal mess of your life. You claim to be a Christ follower, but you've, you've goofed up. You've made a royal mess and feel like there's no way out. So would you indulge me one more time? Not looking around, just heads bowed, eyes closed. This is a really personal, private moment. You just, you've just messed up. And you may even be thinking of taking actions that you shouldn't be taking. I had someone talk to me this week, counseling a woman who says, I'm not in love with my husband anymore, and I love this other guy, and I'm trying to decide what to do. Listen, there is no decision there. You have to do the right thing. You may have messed up in a royal way, but there's still hope for you. And if you're just willing to confess this morning, I need Jesus to move me back on track. I need him to move me from the mess I'm in to the place he wants me to be. Again, with no one looking around, I just want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? I need Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. I need Jesus. Yes, thank you. 
I need Jesus to get me out of the mess. Thank you. I need Jesus to get me out of the mess I'm in. Thank you. He's enough. He's sufficient. There is. <laughs> it's the voice of the prophet saying to you this morning, there is still hope. There is still hope. There's still a way to fullness of life. Lord Jesus, you see the hands that were raised this morning. And I know that you're the God of hope and you're the God who changes. I pray for those that are in a place of a mess they've created that you will help heal their life and correct them and restore them to the joy of the salvation you have for us. Let that work happen even beginning this morning in Jesus' name. I want us all to stand together. Pastor Nathan, I want you to lead us in a worship song. And just take a moment to absorb the presence of God in the room. We won't take long. Well, just a little bit longer this morning, but just a moment for us to, would you just let God kind of settle in and help make things right in all of our lives? And I have made you too small in my Forgive me, and I have believed in a lie that you were unable to help me. Oh, but now, oh Lord, I see my wrong. Heal my heart.
seated just for a moment. I, I want to say one more thing and then we'll go. The scripture tells us in Ezra 10 that when they gathered together they were trembling and there was a great rain. It's likely depending on how you read the text that they were standing out in the rain while it's pouring down. So just hear me. Sometimes when you've made the mess God doesn't make it easy to get back because if you made the return easy it'd be easy for you to slip away again sometimes you're going to stand in the rain but follow through and you'll come through the other side victorious amen thank you so much for being here this morning thank you for your financial support giving online giving at the box as you go we're completely dependent upon that and thank you for all you're doing to help us continue